I want to read to you from Psalm 149 and into 150, and this is our call. It says, Praise the Lord and sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the assembly of His saints. Look around. That's what we're doing this morning. Ain't nobody in here perfect, but we all, hopefully we've all been washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven. And if you haven't, you can be before you leave. Can you say amen? Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Welcome all you that have joined us live. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. That's us. They should hear us praising God. And a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. That day's coming. To bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them with written judgment. The on, this honor have all the saints. So the Bible talks about us. We're going to be in charge someday. Turn your neighbor and say, you may be the mayor somewhere someday. All under his authority, of course. Brenda's, going, she's still on probation, so she's a... You may be the president Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his greatness. Praise him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. Lord, we worship You this morning. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your long-suffering. You are our King. You're our way maker and our provider. There is no name above your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn around and welcome somebody. Children's church is dismissed. It's like having a family reunion every Sunday. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Before I get started, let me give you a couple things to remind. We're trying to keep everything on the internet, on the website, and uh, try to be more extensive on Wednesday with our announcements if you're watching, wherever you're here. But we need to start bringing in things for the Arizona trip. They need the Indian reservation. We need cleaning supplies, toilet paper, coats, jackets, whatever for the children at the orphanage. And uh, also next Sunday, Dwayne's going to start teaching. We're going to have another Sunday school. We're going to keep trying to add classes. He's going to do some expository teaching upstairs, so he's going to start in the book of James. So that'll start next Sunday. So keep your eyes on all the reminds and all the stuff we send out, the newsletter, all that stuff. We try to keep this stuff in front of you. A lot of times I don't want to leave here with announcements. I want to leave here with the last thing God did. 
That's what I want you to leave out. So sometimes those get lost. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn me to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to go through some of this with you and uh, try to remind ourselves of some things here of who we are in Christ. Uh, first thing Paul says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Now don't jump to conclusions with that because he's going to talk about all that down through here. I don't mean we get to do whatever we want to do. Doesn't mean everybody needs to get out of our way and let us do our thing. Uh, well, he'll clear that up in just a minute. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you're given to something over and over and over, and he's going to bring some of those out down here, then you're in bondage. So the world, and I preached on this a few weeks, the world calls it addiction. The Bible calls it bondage. So every time the world gets a term that they don't like in the Bible, they switch the term. So they went from adultery to an affair, right? That's how the world does, right? God called it sodomy. They called it gay. I mean, you, everything God points out in the Scripture, the world don't want to hear that. They want to be offended by it. They don't want to be challenged by it. So they have to change it and deaden the blow as much as they can. But that's not going to change anything when everybody's standing before the God someday. So you need to know the truth. Amen? We all need to know the truth. And so... God calls it bondage, and he's going to talk about that a little bit later, but then, and the Bible calls deliverance. So that's the church's view on addiction is bondage and deliverance, right? That's how we see it. And God delivers people in all kinds of different ways. You can see that in the New Testament. But, and he, he healed some as they went, different things, but there, that's the difference between how the world uses their terminology and God. He says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So you still got these people, and it still happens today. It's not necessarily with circumcision, but you still have people who believe they're right with God because you fill in the blank. You're right with God because you've asked for forgiveness, you've accepted His Son as your Lord and Savior, and you believe on Him that He died for your sins, He rose from the dead, and He's the only begotten Son of God. You don't, uh, you don't get... Uh, a credit for time served, right? The guy who came in the last hour got the same pay as the guy who came in the first hour. And some people don't like that. Yeah. Even Christians don't like that. And some Christians don't like the fact that when they talked about the talents, he, the guy who had one didn't do anything with it. He took it from him and gave it to the guy who had the most. Woo! That won't fly in a culture like ours, with it? But God holds us accountable. See, and that's what we don't do to ourselves sometimes. We don't hold ourselves accountable. We don't hold our children accountable. We don't do things. We don't live in accountability because we like to live and do our own thing. But if you're doing your own thing and there's something in the Bible that speaks against that, you better stop doing it. Tell your neighbor, say, you better stop it. Better stop. And then he, uh, do not, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but do not be like one of those fainting goats. Have y'all seen those? <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. I'll just wet your whistle a little bit. <laughs> he says, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the law. Now he's talking in a religious sense, but these people were trained that if they did certain things naturally that they would be okay with God. There's still denominations that do that. The Jews just, they weren't the only ones. There's denominations right now that do the same thing. If you go through a certain ritual, you don't have to have a heart for God. You don't have to be born again. You just do the right things and you're in. You have become estranged from Christ. He said, when you start counting on your works 
versus what Christ did for you, you become estranged from Him. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You're no longer trying to live in the grace of Christ. You're trying to do your own thing in your performance. He says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. It's interesting. He says right off the bat, Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he's challenging these people. These people had a little bit of what was going on with the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit that spoke it, so he just pinned it down. But Hebrews talks about these Jews who were being challenged. Some had believed that Jesus was the Christ. Some had stayed under the law. And some were caught in the middle. They were trying to believe on Christ. They had both sides pulling at them. And so that's why Paul or the Holy Spirit wrote Hebrews primarily because some were still saying, yeah, but Moses and yeah, but Abraham and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but overall that's Jesus, right? He is the one, right? The, the house is greater than the builder, right? The builder is greater than the house. So all this stuff that we see in Hebrews is because people were being stretched between trying to keep the law and trying to live by faith. And now we still got, in fact, there's been a revival of that. There are Gentiles who now call themselves Jews, and even God speaks against that in the book of Revelation. It's okay if you understand your Jewishness, but if you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. You're a Jew by being grafted in, but you're not a natural Jew just because you keep a few ordinances, right? That's offensive to people who are really Jews. Just like somebody who's got one hundredth of a percentage of an Indian goes out to the reservation and tells them they're Indian. And there's people that do that. There's high-profile people that do that. That's offensive to them, right? It's offensive to them for you to say, I'm one of you, when you're really not. And so these people were dealing with the same thing. They were dealing with these people who said, yeah, you got to keep the law. That's what's going to please God, all this stuff. And so Paul's using some similar language. He says, you've fallen from grace because you now trust in your own strength, your own. Now, that was the whole reason for the law. <clears throat> the law was given not to save anybody. Paul's clear about that in the book of Romans. If we go back to Abram or Abraham and we come in here between Abraham and the cross, which we know is, represents Christ, Jesus. Right here is where the law was given, in between those. And the law was given because man's stubborn, right? We're made of flesh and we think we can do this on our own. Get out of the way, I'll show you I can please God. But that's why the law was given, to show us God's, show us His need for our need, but it shows us what His demand was. If you want to live for God forever on your own righteousness, you have to keep every jot and tittle of the law. Moses couldn't do it. Daniel couldn't do it. Only Jesus could fulfill the law. No man could do it. So the law was given to show us what God's requirements were or His demands, right? And because we couldn't keep the law, it proved to us what? Our need for a Savior. We need a Savior, which is Christ, and our inability to please God on our own. We cannot please God in our flesh. No flesh will glory in my presence, he said. So God, this is what God requires We've proved this to ourselves by realizing, Paul said, if you break one part of the law, you broke the whole law. So we proved ourselves that we need a Savior. And so the law, if you've watched that little 15-minute clip on YouTube, if you haven't, shame on you. The law is an x-ray. The law can't, x-rays don't fix problems. They just expose them, right? What Paul said, before the law came, I was fine. Then the law came, sin showed up, and there I was. Right in the middle of it, right? Because you didn't know, you didn't, uh, nobody knew what was attached to your body until they took an x-ray, right? When they took an x-ray, they saw the problem. But the x-ray don't fix the problem. It just identifies it, right? 
And so we need a Savior. He is the great physician. The physician fixes the problem, right? And Jesus is the great physician, so you need, uh, you need Jesus, right? So this is why the law was involved. And so all these people are struggling with that because Jesus now, in Him, I am the righteousness of God. This still goes on, though. We, we, I know we give the Pharisees a hard time and the Jews because they didn't see Jesus when He showed up. But it's still going on. There are people in high-profile denominations that don't even have a... Some people in the pulpit that don't even have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. And that's crazy. But that's how blinded we get because we have self-confidence, self-assurance. We can do this on our own. And that's probably one of the harder things in America, maybe as opposed to somewhere like Africa. Everybody has their own things, obstacles in their way to follow God. But one of the things in America probably that's probably unique, not completely unique, but maybe more here than any other country in the world, is we're made to be self we're trained to be self-made people. Do your thing. Take care of yourself. Get along, you know, make sure you make it happen. And so that's hard to come and lay all that down. I heard a story from one of the reservations when I was there. One of the guys had come to the tent revival, and they have lots of tent revivals. I've even spoke at some of their tent revivals. And they'll come, and he'd come in on his horse, had his rifle on his horse, had his nice blanket. And so he heard the message, true story. He heard the message. He went out and brought his blanket in and laid it down. And the guy said, that's not what God's after. He went out and brought his rifle. Then he brought his horse down the tent. And finally they got through to him that God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you. I know it's wild. You're crazy. We're all crazy, right? But he wants a relationship with us. And he wants us to follow him. And he wants to lay our self down and do his will, right? So the law exposes my need for a Savior, my inability to please God on my own. But yet we still have people doing that all over the world. You ran well, he said, who hindered you from obeying the truth? So the truth is Christ, right? It's a person. They have their own truths. We need to take a couple of turtle doves, right? We need to circumcise. They had their own truths, but they were, those were getting in front of Christ. He said, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you start trusting yourself in a little place, it'll start running to other parts of your life. That's why he asked us to lay our lives down. That's why I tell you that story about the guy who's one of the richest guys in the, in the neighborhood took his wallet in to be baptized when his wife said, hey, your wallet's in your pocket. He said, that's going under too, because that was his God. His money was his God. He's going to lay it all down. So you can trust in uncertain riches. You can trust in all kinds of things in this life. There's all kinds of things that the devil would like for us to trust in other than God. And we've got to be on guard about that. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, I still, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Because Paul has stepped into that grace. He stepped into the faith. And now he's, because he was the one that preached the law the most aggressive, but his heart was changed when he had, that, had his encounter with the Lord. He said, why do I suffer? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. See, they're in a battle. And basically what the law is saying to you is the same thing a lot of world religions and some denominations. 
that call themselves Christians. If you do certain things, if you match up or do this or offer this, you're good. But it's missing everything about grace and faith and relationship. He says, uh, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And that's where the modern church needs to take another look. Now, there's a difference between liberty and freedom. Freedom is an internal condition. Liberty is an external condition. Freedom has to do with your, your inside. Liberty has to do with your external opportunities. So you may have the liberty, this like, and this is, a, this is kind of a place where we would mature, right? We probably not encounter this. Maybe I would encounter this more than most of you because of hanging around Jews from time to time. But if you defend your brother to eat a certain meat, even though you have the liberty to do it, Paul says you should forego it. Be the mature person, right, in the room. And so don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh to hurt somebody or to do your own thing. That's why Paul may have had his liberties taken from time to time in the natural, but he was a free man even in Acts chapter 16 because the Holy Spirit showed up. So you can be free and be in jail. Your liberties may be restricted, but you can still be a free man or a free woman inside of a prison. Watchman Nee was that way many times. Many of our, uh, if you read about the prophets, but Watchman Nee is more of a modern example of somebody who was persecuted over and over and put in prison. Jeremiah, you read the book of Jeremiah. He was thrown in the well and everything else. Paul was under house arrest and thrown in prisons. Everywhere he went, he caused a mess. For God. And then he says, he says, My brethren, be called to liberty. Only use not this liberty for an opportunity of flesh, but through love serve one another. That's how we should get up with an attitude every day. Not to be served, but to serve. All of us. You should do that with your wife. You, should do, you ought to fall over each other trying to stumble. Try, you should stumble over each other trying to serve one another. I heard a preacher, he, he talked about how his wife and him try to serve one another. And he said he had to keep getting up earlier and earlier because she kept beating him up. Not beating him up, but getting up before. <laughs> For the law is fulfilled in one... And you know what? I don't want you to forget this. This is very simple truth, but sometimes we forget it because we get caught up in this rat race. It is so much better to give than receive. It feels way better, don't it? It just feels, I mean, we all have needs and God has to meet those needs. But it's so good to give. It just feels so good. But love, he said, but through love serve one another. Let that start at home. And then spread that to your neighborhood. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. And you know the word for neighbor means anybody within your proximity of reach. Somebody you can touch. Somebody you can deal with. Love your neighbor like you do yourself. And then he goes into Ephesians 5 and he talks about the husband loving his wife like he does himself. But she should reciprocate that back. And we cannot get offended. If you want to stop your spiritual life in the middle of the road where you get run over by a truck, start getting offended. You cannot get offended. The Bible tells us not to be offended. If you get offended, you will filter everything through that. Now, what about that woman who said, my daughter's about to die, 
And Jesus said, uh, we're not giving no meat off the master's table to dogs. Now, how many people would have took that and come back with some faith? You know as well as I do, a lot of people got mad at Jesus, started running him down on Facebook. Am I telling the truth? He was giving this woman a chance of a lifetime, just like Elijah did in the Old Testament, right? He said either he was arrogant or he was giving this woman a chance. He said, go make me something to eat before you and your son eat. Now, that's either arrogance or the chance. See, I'm afraid some of us are missing our chances of a lifetime because we're offended. I'm going to get one amen or I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> what are you offended about? Has Jesus done you wrong? No, but I said, has Jesus done you? No, but... Uh, uh, Everybody done Jesus wrong, including us. And he forgave us. And loves us. And you're a knucklehead week in and week out, and he still loves you. Who are we to withhold it? we got to love. He said, everything's out of this love. He says, for the law is fulfilled in one word, and you shall love your neighbor like yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. There was, I'm going to say this as discreetly as I can. There was a person in our neck of the woods that was offended at everybody. And then finally that offense turned toward God. They were mad at God. And you know what? Nobody in the neighborhood wanted to be around them. Once there's an offense, you like if let's say you get offended at the preacher, right or wrong, doesn't matter if I'm right or you're wrong or vice versa. Once you get offended, if you don't turn it loose, everything I do will go through that filter, and I'll never be good with you. I'd come wash your feet, feed your dog. But if there's an offense there, you'll filter everything through it. That's why we got to let them go. Starting with your wife or your husband. Turn that stuff loose. Because if you don't, that's why people live 40 years in the past. Because there's something there that they keep filtering everything through. And Jesus is the answer for that. When you think about how he's treated you, how can we do that? Listen, I've given Jesus a, a hundred thousand reasons to be offended at me. And I'll probably give him some more if he don't take me out today. Not intentionally, but I'm, sometimes I'm stubborn. Where's my wife? <laughs> we all are in the flesh. But once you get an offense towards somebody or towards something, you will filter everything. They won't be able to do anything right. Because it will always get filtered through that dirty water pipe. That's inside of you. You've heard that story, right? It's in, that pipe's inside of you. I know we want it to be in the person we're offended at, but it's inside of us. It's collected. Has anybody... I, my wife does this job because I can't take it. Now, you people that don't clean your drains out and your sinks in your bathroom... Y'all are bad shape. They stuff could crawl out of there that'd make a scary movie run and hide. 
We got one of those long white plastic things that you can go way down in there with. And when my wife starts doing that, I leave the room. You know what's coming out there? Woo-wee. It's nice. But that's how we are. You think about it. I'm going to take some pictures of that, and then I'm going to preach on offenses. And I'm going to put them up here on these TVs and say, here you are if you've got a big offense. You know what's down in there? Woo-wee. Crudville, USA. At least the commode shoves stuff on out. <laughs> I better quit and get back in the scripture here. <laughs> You've been called to liberty, but don't use your liberty as an opportunity to do your own thing. If you bite and devour one another, you will be, you'll, you'll be consumed by another. Uh, you, it's so much. This feels so good to get all the junk out, don't it? Well, let's keep it out. Get you one of them big white things. My wife can tell you where to get one. Some of you are going to stick it down your throat and pull it. <laughs> I say then, walk in the Spirit, for you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, there's our challenge, right? He says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And, and we, normally, when we hear stuff like that, we think about the big stuff, right? The, the major offenses towards somebody, a spouse to a spouse, or somebody caught up in addiction. But listen to how this plays out. He says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So he's making a break there, right? You now are under grace. You've fallen from grace if you've went back over here to try to live on your own and do it your way and please God by the stuff you're doing. Then he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, these are the big ones, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. All those are sexual problems. The next are idolatry, sorcery, the Greek word there is pharmakia, so it lends itself toward drug abuse, things that make people out of their mind. That's where we get the word pharmacy. Hatred, contentions. Now look at this list, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. That's a work of the flesh. He says, selfish ambitions. There's that hook, right? Eros. Dissensions, heresies, envy is a work of the flesh. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's getting a little bit close, right? When he breaks it down and gets out of the, what we think are the bigger sins and gets into some stuff that some, maybe we might find ourselves practicing. I was at a Promise Keepers meeting one time in Knoxville, Tennessee, in the gym, the, the uh, arena that's bigger than Rupp Arena was at Thompson Bowl, and they had to outdo Kentucky, right? Thousands of men in there. I'll never forget my friend getting up, James Ryle, who used, who's a pastor in Colorado, was the chaplain for the Colorado football team when they won the national championship. He stood up and he said, some of, some of you guys, your family, they're so glad you're here these few days because it's the only time they get any rest. Because you walk in the door like a junkyard dog every day and nobody has any peace. Of course, he went on to preach a sermon to challenge them, right? 
But I've thought about that. These outbursts of wrath. You know, that's, that's a simple thing. But Paul's calling it the work of the flesh. And he's saying if you practice those things, you're not going to get to heaven. Wow. Now that got quiet. Is anybody on the air out there amening me? Because a lot of times we feel justified in our outbursts, don't we? I've had to apologize to my children before for having an outburst of wrath. I've had to apologize to my wife before. Now all these things, you can get caught up in one. He's, he's talking to people who practice them. Nobody's perfect. None of us in this building are perfect. You may leave here today and have an outburst of wrath. I pray that you don't. But some people have outbursts of wrath at the restaurant because somebody didn't get their order quick enough. He says he's trying to compare the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh, and we're going to get to that. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So the opposite of what he just read off is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now let me give you a little example here. This is singular in the Greek. So you don't, you don't want to focus on one of these and say, well, I'm good at this even though I'm not so good at the other five. It's not how it works. You've got an apple on your tree and your apple has nine parts. Right? One, two, three, four, Five, six, y'all didn't know I could count, did you? Eight, seven, skip, I about didn't. Nine. So let me tell you what, if, you're, if you've mastered eight of these, whatever that means, you really need to let the Holy Spirit just do it through you. Then, and, you've all, and one of them you haven't, then guess what? Every one of your apples, as good as you may feel about the other categories, every one of your apples has a worm in it. So there's a bad spot there. One of the greatest days of my life was when my family went to Rock City in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my brother, who's about three years older than I am, bit into the peach before I did, and he had half a worm. No cell phones, no nothing to take, a picture, take his picture. But I was in the back seat, so it didn't wind up so well for me either. But if you, if you think... I'm good at this, but I'm not good at that, then every one of your apples is going to have a bad spot in it. So what we need to do is let the Holy Spirit do this. This is the opposite of what he's talking about, the works of the flesh. This is the work of the Spirit in us, right? Against such there's no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now go to Philippians. Look on the screen here. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, of, uh, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now start that in a home. What if you were more astute to serving than being served, husband or wife? What if your attitude was, I'm here to serve? I mean, it works. It really works. It works. I mean, it draws it out of them, right? 
it draws it out of them. When you love, it draws it out of them. Let's go to Matthew 26, or excuse me, yeah, 26 verse 36. Let me show you something else here. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons Zebedee began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that's our lot. And watching and praying is living and walking in the spirit. And that's what he talks about in this passage. Let's go back to Galatians. In Galatians, where we left off, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, good. So there's a battle going on between the things of the flesh versus the things of the Spirit. And he says, And such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's, that's our challenge, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So the live in the Spirit is the life. This word live has its, has its roots in resurrection. It's a condition, right? This is our condition. Because I've trusted in Christ, He's my resurrection. I, I have a resurrection to be. And here's another meaning to this word. Zeo in the Greek, it means possessed in a state of salvation. Now, you get, you're supposed to be possessed, not with the devil, but by the Holy Spirit. That's supposed to be the difference in a Christian. We're possessed. If you've seen or been around demon possession, or if you've seen it mimicked on TV or whatever, it's a state where somebody, and it's real. I've dealt with it a few times in my ministry. It's real. It's a state where somebody gets a demon inside of them living. A spiritual foe comes inside and then manipulates them and controls them to some degree, maybe fully. And you read about several of those counts in the, in the New Testament especially. And so they're demonic, but they are possessed with a spirit that manipulates them and uses them to his own end. That, and that, I know this sounds crazy, but that's exactly what should be going on with you and I with the Holy Spirit. That he should be able to move us and direct us and use us for his own end. So possession is a real thing, and it should start with Christians being possessed by the Holy Spirit. And you remember the soul and the spirit teaching how that battle goes on and all the influence the flesh brings in onto the table as well. We've got to be possessed with the Holy Spirit. That's when life's at its best, when you're possessed. Tell, you, <laughs> tell your neighbor, life's at its best when you're possessed. Go ahead and tell him that. <laughs> Bye. Let me add that. They say cut this clip somewhere and throw it up. Not these guys, but somebody <laughs> possessed by the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. So he says, against there's no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Now, your living is your condition, or excuse me, your position in or condition. I'm sorry. You're walking it out. 
is your activities, right? And that word walk means to uh, have action, frequent, the same, the common locale, which is God's Word, His presence, and maintain your life and conduct. So one is an internal position, the other is the condition in which you live. You don't let things interfere with your Bible time. You don't let things interfere with your prayer time. In fact, you don't even get up and answer the phone when you're talking to God. You can't leave talking to the creator of the universe and go talk to some man or some woman. Give God some undivided time. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When somebody in the body of Christ gets blessed, we should rejoice with them. We should not walk away saying, I wish I had that. We should rejoice with them and be encouraged that God is blessing them. We might want to find out how they're living. Maybe, you're, maybe you, there's an area of your life that's sterile. Maybe you want to find somebody that's not sterile in that area and talk to them. Maybe you want to find out why they're being blessed. How they're conducting their life. How they're walking before God. Brethren, if a man is overtaken any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. When you see a brother and sister in trouble, you should not talk about it. You should go to them. You should pray with them. Pray for them if you don't have the opportunity. If God doesn't set up an opportunity for you to be with them. Restore one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So he's trying to remind us, you still live in the flesh. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to live in the Spirit. But when you see somebody that's not, that says they're a Christian or brother, you need to be able to share with them in love. Everything's done in love. He says, bear one another's burdens. That's how we're supposed to be. And so forth. But the burdens aren't near as heavy if both people are trying to serve one another. And you need to just sit down and figure it out. Find out what works best, especially in a marriage. Find out what skills you bring to that marriage. God makes opposites attract because we need stuff from each other. We lack. You don't have it all. I don't have it all. We lack. And especially in a marriage. They, the world says opposites attract, but that's God's way of bringing things to the table that both people are missing out on. And the trouble is trying to bring that together, right? Because we're all stubborn. <clears throat> and so I made better teeth when we got married than my wife did. And she surrendered to that. <laughs> I'm a good tea maker. That's one. The other ten things she's good at. <laughs> but you've got to find that out and be okay with it. And invest in each other. Your greatest asset is your spouse. Invest in them. Invest in them. Both of you. you, you one can't just sit around and let the other one invest, do all the investing. It's a two-way street. He says, your spirit, Restore such one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, 
he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So there's a two-way street there. Bear your load, help others bear. That, that would be the best way to live in a marriage and in any given situation on the job. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, and that's materially. Do not be deceived, God is, and, and you all do a great job of that. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now we read a verse like that and we think negative thoughts, right? Oh man, what have I done? <laughs> I've done that and I've got the whirlwind coming. But we're talking about lifestyles. We're talking about practicing. You know, Isaiah kept telling Israel, said, if you'll stop, if you'll repent and turn back to God... He'll stop all the... It'll stop right now. No more reaping. But they wouldn't do it. In fact, one of the greatest stories in the Bible of a cover-up is Peter. Peter pulls his sword out, cuts the dude's ear off, should have been probably prosecuted, gone to prison, maybe lose his life for that, and Jesus hid the evidence. I like that story. Took the guy's ear, put it back on. Can you imagine him going before Pilate and saying, Listen, we need to arrest Peter. You know what a hothead he is? That fisherman over there, he's following that crazy guy, Jesus. He cut my ear off. I can see Pilate saying, Well, let's see. Well, it was off, but can you imagine trying to explain that? I can see Pilate saying, You need a sabbatical. You need to go take some time off. God is good. He's so good. He's so willing. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. And that's exactly what happened that day. That's the kind of God we serve. He just don't want us practicing sin. He don't want us practicing the things we talked about. You may find yourself in sin occasionally, but you need to repent and get out of it. He says, he says we're going to sow, but you can also reap good. And that's what he goes on to say. He says, whatever man sows, that we also reap. For if he sows of the flesh, he will uh, of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. So think about where you're sowing. The greatest gift that's been given us is the gospel, which tells us the story of our Savior, right? The Greek word means uh, good news with a reward. He carries our shame. Our guilt, our sin, our sicknesses, our diseases, all of that was laid on Him. And then He gives us eternal life on top of that. The Bible says no man will leave anything in this life and not receive a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. And then He goes on to say, He says, If you sow the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. And let us, here's the thing I want to end on. Uh, Mike shared to the men yesterday in the men's meeting a little bit about from another section about what it's like what it's like to know you're in the minority when it comes to living for God and most of the world could give a hoop. Now that's get I mean that can wear on you. What it's like to be trying to do the right thing and very few people in the world care. That can wear on you. Here's what he says, some similar. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Have you, ever, have you ever had this thought? What's the use? Three of us have had that thought. 
rest of you's doing good. <laughs> I let, can I be real plain with you for a moment here? I am anyway, but let me just say this to you. If you listen to the news or watch the news, it looks like the devil's winning sometimes, don't it? The natural man, you look out there and you see a woman laying in the street of a city in this country with her arm tore off where she's bled out and died on the street of New Orleans. I mean, we know how the story ends, so we know that's not true. But man, that stuff can weigh on you, right? You woke up one morning, your retirement looked good, woke up the next morning, it was gone. Stuff can weigh on you. Pay a dollar eighty around here for gas three years ago. Now you paid almost five a couple of months ago. That stuff can weigh on you. You see the evil that's going on in our world. Stuff can get heavy on you. We got to be the people that don't get weary. Now, if you walk in the flesh, you will get weary. But if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not. The Holy Spirit will keep you up. He'll strengthen you. And I'm going to show you a few things before we quit how that works. You need to spend time in God's Word regularly. You need to have a prayer life. And you need to fellowship other believers. That's all part of staying strong. We need to stay strong, right? need to keep the joy of the Lord. It's important for you and I to maintain our joy. Because the Bible says in Joshua 1 and 8, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you don't have joy, guess what you're going to start losing? Strength. Now, you've, you've been around even people that call themselves Christians. They ain't never happy. And they get pushed around by the devil like a bulldozer. Because they ain't never happy. They don't have any joy. And when you don't, I'm, not, I'm just giving you what the Bible said. If you don't have joy, your strength's going to start caving in. And you're going to be miserable because the devil's going to push you around. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And you heard me say this before, how about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him? That's the kind of life God wants us to live. Amen. What do you need to do to maintain your joy? Number one, you need to remind yourself what's, that what God's got in prayer for you. I've not seen you, have not heard, neither in the heart of man, but, the things that, but they have come into our heart by the Spirit, the things God has. Remember, there's a, there is a heaven that we're going to gain someday. Remember that God's got you covered. And if there's ever been a time when he's proved that to us group of people, it's been in the last two and a half years. He has been so good to this congregation, to the people that are tied into Basilea. He has been so good to us from jobs to protection. He's just been so good. He's proved himself to us. We owe him our service. And he says, I want you to take your service and give it to others in love. And I want the wife to wake up trying to serve her husband. I want the husband to wake up trying to serve his wife. I want the church to serve. I want you to serve. Serve well. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, by how you love one another. That's what Jesus said. Well, I deserve to be waited on because I've been done wrong. No, you don't. You deserve to die like the donkey. His neck was broke. The first one that come out of the womb, we all deserve to die. And God said, I'm going to forgive you even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to love you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to make you my own. 
It is selfish to be that way when you know how good God has been to you. Either you don't know how good God has been to you, you don't understand what's really at stake, or you're not saved. And I preached on that last week, so you can watch that last week. We have an obligation to love, even when we're not being loved. That's what Jesus did over and over, and He's still doing it. I go hide in a corner on Him, spiritually speaking, and He seeks me out, and He loves me. I shared some of this maybe Wednesday. I'm getting ready to close. See, I turned the Bible over I've been listening to Exodus, and it's been ministering to me so well. And I saw where God stopped Moses on his way back in. He was going to kill him. He'd already got his papers. He'd done had the experience. Stand on holy ground. That's where a lot of Christians are. Well, I had to experience holy ground. God's not wanting to do nothing else. I mean, you see, he is because you need it. You know what I feared out a long time ago? God ain't through working on me. i got to go through seasons and stages. And I may have some stuff mastered, but there's some stuff none of us have mastered. You ain't the Johnny come lately. Or the Janie. I always get Johnny in there. How about Janie? But this morning when I went to pray, and I saw, you know, God, the Bible says God was going to kill Moses. Now, he'd already been called. He was on his way in to do the job. And God stopped him in the way and his wife got mad at him because he hadn't done what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take his place, circumcise his boys. She had to do it. She got mad at him, threw the foreskin down at his feet. And God let him live. And the Lord spoke to me this morning. I saw that and I thought, man, how important is it to do what God's asked you to do? Right? I was looking at it all from my perspective, right? But then this morning God gave me his perspective. And he said, that was my mercy to him. To get him straight and right. Because he couldn't represent me if he wasn't straight and right with me. He said, I didn't kill him. I didn't say he couldn't do the job. I just stopped him and corrected him. When God stops you and corrects you and I, we ought to rejoice to the heavens. Amen. Now, i got five verses, and we'll run up here, and then I'm going to close. These five verses. Matthew 9 and 2. Then, behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Right? I heard somebody say it. They remember this word. There's five times Jesus used this word in the New Testament, and we translate it cheer. Bad, not the best word to use there. It's a Greek word, tharseo. So he says, they brought him, he said, Son, be of good tharseo, your sins are forgiven. They got mad at him over that. Remember that story? Go to the next one. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, Be of good tharseo, or good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. The woman was made well from that hour. Go to the next one. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, go to the next verse. I must have got the wrong one. It's supposed to have, there it is. These things I have spoken to you, that uh, in me you may have peace, but in the world I have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
The other one was when he was walking on the water, he told him to be of good cheer. This is the last one. But of the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good Tharsay, O Paul, for you have testified me in Jerusalem. You must also bear witness to me in Rome. The word cheer is a poor translation there because the Greek word means that the Lord is departing courage and strength inside of them. Here's why it's important for you to go pray every day. You and I are in a crazy world. You not only need to know what God says, but you need to have some courage imparted to you every day. Because you and I are going to battle every day. So when Jesus met these people, and he, he was like he was opening them up and putting courage and strength inside of them. That's what God's offering each one of us every day. If we'll get up, I can't do that. You can't do anything without him. But through him, we can do all things. So here's what God's saying to us. He's saying, spend time with me, know what I desire, know my will, and live it, right? Don't just live it, but walk it out. Live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, let God put some tharsay on you. Spend time with Him. I'm telling you, spend time with just God. He told them, said, get in your closet and pray. Get away from everything. Spend some time with just God. Don't call your buddy. Sometimes just let it be you and God. You don't have to have a party every time you get try to find God. Now just go be with Him. He's waiting on that. How good does it feel when that little child just crawls up in your lap and wants to sit there? Think about how God feels. You and I have the answers. We do. They're in Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no life apart from Him. We have it. Let's share it. In love. Let's be the people who maintain our joy. When somebody gives you bad news, try to hang on to your joy. I know it's bad. It's hard sometimes. Try to keep that joy. The joy of the Lord's your strength. How are you going to stay joyful? You're going to remind yourself who's in charge. You're going to remind yourself what benefits we have. All right, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, right? Psalm 103. When we see all that, that's how we maintain our joy. You guys come to the instruments. Let me go to Psalm 103 real, real, real quick here before I stop, because I want to read Let's stand our feet. In Psalm 103, this is a reminder. If you want to keep your joy, quit looking at your circumstances and look at your God. Amen? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Are you ready? You thought your insurance company had good benefits. Listen to these. Bless the Lord, forget not His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Now these are good. They're real good. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Here's a good one for everybody over 50. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Sometimes we're in God's way. You're trying to get your own justice. And if you get out of His way, He'd bring it. And what he brings works. Amen. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. What a good word. How many of you went to God the last time you sinned and he said, eh, I'm not feeling it today. You sinned last week. But yet we'll do each other that way. 
We don't get done that way. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. What a good word. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as removed our transgressions from us. You're clean in him. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to open this altar up. Whatever business you need to do with God as we worship Him, it's open. Lord, we just come to Your presence right now and we desire You to take us to the places You want to take us. To do us what Ezekiel said, keep emptying us out from vessel to vessel to get all those dregs and leaks out of us, Lord. So that we can become that fine wine that people can really taste and see in our lives that you are good. We don't want people walking away from us discouraged. We don't want people walking away from us downcast. We don't want people walking away from us bitter. We don't want to be able to taste and see that you're good. You're our hope, Lord. There is no hope outside of you. Every other hope has a question mark. You're the only hope that don't have a question mark. And we stand in you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus or you're watching and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus, we invite you to come to this altar or wherever you're at around the world. Just find you a place to ask Jesus to come in your heart to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're here today or you're watching today and you're like the prodigal. You've been doing your own thing. Found yourself in a pig pit. How about today? How about getting up from that pig pen and turning and going back to the Father? And coming back in humility and saying, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll just be your servant. But he's not having that. He's going to make you, restore you to your rightful spot. Whatever your situation is, we know a God who can hit. Maybe you're listening to me or here today. You don't have much joy. Every day you get up, no joy, no joy. How about spend a little more time with Him? Remind yourself of just how much He's cleaned you up and forgiven you. Remind yourself of just how many blessings He's brought into your life. And remind yourself of what He's got waiting for you on the other side. As we worship Him, this altar is open.